Wow, they'll be in my office on Monday, I'm sure. Well, welcome. I'm so glad that you guys are here. I need a little help, a little help both on video and in the room here tonight. I want to know, how many people in the room are married? Anybody? Anybody? Hands up. Married people? Married people? Okay, now put them down. How many people in the room are single? Single people in the room. Single people. Okay, now we're going to raise the level of honesty. Single people. How many of you would say, single people, you would say, you know what? Tired of being single. Would love to have somebody to, you know, build a life with, spend the rest of my life with. Hands, hands, hands. Come on, be honest, be honest. Take notes. Take notes. Get the numbers. Let's go. Right? Okay, married people in the room. Married people. How many of you would say, I'm married, but I wish I was single? No, don't do not raise your hand. All right. Oh, my goodness. That's insane. Well, we are in our final part of love and war, and it is our series about relationships. It is our series about this thing called marriage, uh, one of the most important, if not the most important relationship we will ever enter into in our lives. Uh, and we call it, we're calling it love and war because sometimes it's love, and sometimes it's war. Sometimes it's easy, and it's fun, and it's full, and it's all good, and other times it just seems like plain old war, that it's work, right? And, and so today, what I'm hoping to do is I want to speak both to married people and directly to single people as well. So if you're single in the room, I just need you to hang with me to the very end. We're going to talk directly to you, because one of the surprising things over this entire series has been how many comments and what, what kind of feedback I've gotten primarily from single people. Uh, so many single people have said to me such uh, things such as, you know, I didn't think this was going to be for me. I thought I was going to tune this whole series out. I think it was going to be irrelevant and boring, uh, but it's been quite the opposite. So many of them have said, I have learned so much. I've been engaged with this. I've been so encouraged, uh, but they have said this. I wish there was something specifically for me. And so, uh, by the time we're done today, my hope is, is I'm going to talk directly to the single people, and I'm going to give you what I think to be what we're going to call marriage material. Who's marriage material for you, or who's not marriage material for you? So you just hang loose, and we'll get there in just a little bit. Y'all good with that? Now, we're calling this uh, session strategies, because we have to figure out how to win uh, in this thing called marriage, how to make it work and to work well. So if you are a note-taking type of person, my hope is uh, I'm going to give you three different lists for tonight, three different lists that I think it would be helpful if you just wrote these things down or got your phone ready to take pictures of them because sometimes it's love and sometimes it's war. And my hope is, is that, that we'll walk out of here with a little bit more love than we do War, all right? So I remember when Lynette and I got married, we were just kids. I was 18 and she was 19, and so I scored an older woman, huh? And uh, I asked my wife, I said, so how long have we been married? And she informed me, 28 years, huh? How about that? 28 years, yes. Um, but in the beginning, it was all you need is love, 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 and that's because that's about all you had, right? Uh, you were dead broke and you weren't too wise to boot. And so you needed this thing called love. And for me and Lynette, it got off to kind of a crazy start. When I mean crazy, I mean really crazy start because like I said, we got married when we were young and uh, we got married on a Saturday, got married on a Saturday. Uh, but the only problem was that we planned this honeymoon up north at Lynette's grandparents' cabin. It was going to be great and romantic and all that kind of stuff. But the only problem was, is that I had a court date on Monday morning 
following the wedding. Couldn't get out of it. Monday morning. And uh, it was a little bit awkward because I had to explain to Lynette's parents why we couldn't go on our honeymoon right away. And I had to inform her, uh, for, inform them that I had gotten arrested for civil disobedience while protesting abortion. Which was kind of a weird thing to you know, talk about when you're trying to get this whole honeymoon thing going off the ground, right? Uh, and, and so uh, we had to wait around. And so uh, on Saturday night after the wedding, it was, it was very late, as you can imagine. And uh, we, we had to book a hotel room. But the only problem was is we figured out that, that you're too young legally when you're 18 to book a hotel room. Do you know how awkward it is to have your mother call the hotel <laughs> to book the room for you? Yeah, and so... We did that, and, uh, and so we're rushing our way. And I, and I, I got to tell you, uh, loud and proud, I got to tell you, uh, Lynette and I waited for marriage to get things going, if you know what I mean, right? And so, uh, and, and so, uh, and so I was very excited, and I probably was doing like 100, 110, going down the highway to this hotel. And, and so we get into the hotel, and I do the whole check-in thing, get the key, and like, uh, I am like running down the hallway, dragging Lynette along. I was probably not the most sensitive husband in the world at this point. And, and so we, we get into the room, and, and, and we, you know, we, I was very excited, okay? And so I get into the room and Lynette shocks me by saying, by saying, I got to go change. And I'm like, isn't that the point of being married that you can change together? Forget all that, right? But she's like, goes into the restroom and, and shuts the door behind her. And so here I am, I'm just sitting there just waiting. <laughs> Forever, it seemed like, right? And, and then finally, uh, finally she, she comes back out and that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, and and she, she comes back out. And uh, so I just need you to picture this. Now, we waited for 18 years for this, right? And we're about 10, 15 minutes into being together and things and stuff, you know? And then, I kid you not, it was this. On the door. Knock, like boom, 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 boom on the door. And it, it freaked me out. I mean, literally, it freaked me out. I'm thinking, this is your parents, because we came from very good families. And, this is your, and I'm married. I have a ring to prove it, I swear, you know? And, and so, uh, but, but the knock came again, and I pulled myself together, and, and I was like, um, um, excuse me, um, yes, uh, hello? And it was a guy on the other end. I didn't, you know, recognize his voice. And he says, I'm so-and-so, and I'm from the hotel, true story, and and we put you in the wrong room and we need to move you. This is our honeymoon, right? And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, it's true. We put you in the wrong room. We just got here 15 minutes ago. This is our honeymoon. Sorry, sir. We need you to move. So what do you do? You pack up all your stuff and... You, you, you move, and so he takes us to another room, and I'm thinking, this is better be an upgrade. I mean, this better be, you know? Uh, but instead, they take us to this room, and, and they put us in this little room, and I'm like, this is like the ground floor dungeon down here. This is, what, what are we doing, you know? And, and, and so, you know, we're into the room, and about 15 minutes into things, um, all of a sudden, doom, 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 doom. Kid you not, I'm like, what is that? We about fall out of bed. I'm like, what in the world? Uh, they, they put us in the room directly behind the stage of the nightclub that was associated with the hotel. And so all <laughs> night long, it was, 
it was crazy. And sometimes it starts off a little bit crazy. Am I right? Because this is a true story. Before we even got to our honeymoon, I spent the day in jail. I locked my keys in my car, lost my wallet, and hit a deer. And so sometimes it can only get better, right? And, and let me tell you something, friends. Sometimes it has to get better. And some of you in this room right now, you're in a position where you're saying it better get better. It's got to get better. Something has got to, to change. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about some strategies today. I'm going to give you three different lists, three different lists, very, very simple. And I'm hoping that, that something will land with you, something will challenge you, something will encourage you, something will equip you with some strategies because listen, we have to win in our relationships. We, especially in this thing called marriage, we've got to get this together so much so that we want the world to look at us and to be jealous of what they see in us. We want them to look at us and we want them to see the reflection of Jesus at work in our lives through this thing called marriage. And, and so I want to talk about this. And the first thing I want to share with you are three ways to destroy your marriage because you may not even realize that this is what's going on in your own home. There are some things that are going on in your own home and it's going to destroy your marriage. Now, there are lots of things that can destroy a marriage. Some of them are very, very obvious. There are certain things that you could do that would end it right now. Am I right? Am I right? But we don't want to talk about those. What we want to talk about is the things that lead up to those things. Some of the hidden things, some of the subtle things that you may not even realize before it is too late. So I just put the little list together and, um, and, I, and I just want to share this with you. So how does a marriage fall apart? How does marriage fall apart? It doesn't fall apart normally overnight. You realize that, right? Like it's very rarely have I ever met somebody who has said, you know what? My marriage is great. I love my wife. Everything's great. It's perfect. It's, it's beautiful. She's wonderful. Everything's great. And then the very next day they go out and destroy it by having an affair or, or leaving their fa uh, family or having a divorce. Like nobody goes, it was great yesterday and today it's over. Almost nobody does that. It's almost always some other things that lead to it. Almost always, let me tell you something, friends, listen to me. It's a slow fade. It's a slow downward fade. It's a spiral that, that if you were to catch it early on, it could change everything. If you could have caught it early on, and some of you are gonna look back and go, I wouldn't be divorced today if I would have caught some of this stuff early on. And, and so here, here's the very first thing that I think causes people to end up in this thing called divorce. And, then, and the number one thing is very simple, it's distractions. It's distractions. Here, here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Here's what often happens in a good marriage, in a good home where people are really caring and really trying. You see, you have a bunch of good stuff happening in your life. You got work, you got hobbies, you got, you know, the kids running a million miles an hour in a million different directions. You got soccer, you got baseball, you got music lessons, you got ballet, you got gymnastics, and you got a, all the school events and all the volunteer events. You got to volunteer for your school. You got to volunteer for your church. You got you got all of this stuff happening. And of course, you got work and you got a house to take care of. And, you, and the house is falling apart half the time and you got to fix this, you got to fix that, you got to plant the, the garden, you got to mow the lawn, you got to weed the weeds, you know, all of this stuff, right? And then of course you need a little overtime and so you work overtime and every once in a while you got to go to the gym and every once in a while you got to get out and play a round of golf and you got all of this stuff, listen, and it's all good stuff. All of it is important to your life. All of it is healthy in and of itself. All of it takes your life and makes it full and good. But it does something else if we're not careful. 
It distracts us from the most important relationship we can have. It takes us out of the most important game that we're in. It fills our life and fills our life and fills our life in such a way that one day we wake up and we don't even know who she is. We're living together, but we're not together. There are these outside distractions that come and destroy what we really want in life. Now, I don't know if you've been to a wedding, but you have probably heard the little line that a preacher will say near the end of a uh, ceremony for a wedding, they'll say something like this, uh, what God has put together, let no man tear apart. Have you heard that before? Do you realize that this, that little phrase is Jesus's words? Jesus himself uttered these words. Listen to this. This is how he says it in Mark chapter 10. Listen to this. Very important. He says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let no one. Let nothing and no one tear it apart. In in other words, Jesus is saying there are going to be things in your life and, and, and that are going to come between you and the most important relationship you will ever have. And a lot of it will be good stuff. And you better watch out because there is an enemy who wants to tear it apart. He says, don't let everyday distractions separate you from the most important thing in the world. Work on staying tight. Amen. Amen. Here's the second thing on our list. Second thing that I think will destroy a marriage in no time flat. It's this thing called conflict. Here's a newsflash for you. Every single couple will have conflict. Every single friendship, every single employment opportunity, every single neighbor, every single person in church will have conflict with somebody else and it is no different in your marriage. Uh, Here's how it happens around here all the time. I I get to talk to these couples and it's so wonderful and I'll say, hey, you know, maybe a newlywed, they've been married for like a year or something like that and I'll say, hey, how's it going? And they'll say, it is awesome. Awesome, it couldn't be better. She's amazing, he's amazing. He walks on water. It is absolutely unbelievable what's going on. Man, we're just taking on the world. We're taking over the world. It is incredible, it couldn't get any better. Two months later, two months later, I'll say, so, how's it going? Terrible. He's a jerk. She's this, he's that. Uh, We're heading for divorce. Two months, two months. Something flips, something changes, right? Conflict comes their way and all of a sudden they're like, life sucks and this is not going anywhere good. And here's what we do, friends. Let me tell you this. Here's what I've noticed and I think this is true of your life and it's true of my life. We tend to, when the relationship is new, when you first meet somebody, when you're first dating somebody, when you first, even in a friendship, when you first connect, here's what we tend to do. We tend to maximize their strengths, and we minimize their weaknesses, right? I mean, come on. When you say I do, like he's like, woo. I mean, he is like walking on water. He can do no wrong. He is the smartest. He is the most intelligent. He is the most romantic. He is the most, uh, you know, concerned human being that's ever walked the planet, and he is all mine. We tend to maximize their strengths, and we minimize their weaknesses. She's perfect. 
She's perfect. She's wonderful. She's amazing. She doesn't do anything wrong. She's so sweet. She's so sexy. She saw everything, right? Two years later, sometimes two months later, we flip it. And here's what we do. We tend to maximize their weaknesses and minimize their strengths. We forget what all that attracted us to this person. And all of a sudden now we're looking and we're trying to figure out why are you such a jerk? What is wrong with him? He is so terrible. And, she, and it's like they can't do anything right. Anything right at all. You see, what happens is this, is that a lot of times couples, especially young couples, are surprised when conflict comes because they've lived in this relational bliss and then they're blindsided when real life hits. And all of a sudden, he doesn't walk on water anymore. And she's not all that you thought she would be. And so conflict comes. And let me tell you something, friends. Here's the key. Here's the key. Unresolved conflict will destroy any relationship. Let me tell you that again. Unresolved conflict will destroy any relationship you had. It is deadly. Not conflict itself, though. Conflict can be beautiful. And conflict can be good. And conflict can take us somewhere better than we were. But unresolved conflict, let me tell you something, every single time results in death. It's deadly in your friendships, in your places of employment, in your neighborhood, in this church, and definitely in your marriage. It's not conflict itself. It's unresolved conflict. Because let me tell you something, when conflict develops, at some point it must be addressed because hidden pain let me tell you something, friends. You know this. Hidden pain grows. Am I right? Hidden resentment grows. Hidden bitterness, what? Grows. And it divides. It causes a wedge in the relationship every single time. It becomes like a cancer that is out of control in us. And sometimes our partner doesn't even, doesn't even know it. It's unresolved conflict and it'll haunt you and it'll eventually kill you. Here's how the Bible speaks to this. Here's how the scripture speaks to this idea of, of conflict in a relationship. Here's what it says. Book of uh, Ephesians chapter four, verse 26 and 27. It says, you know, this is so good. It says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Anybody ever have anger control? Anybody on video? You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's there, it's underneath, and it keeps growing and growing and growing. And the Bible says, do not let that happen. God says, do not let that control you. And here's why, he says this, don't let the sun go down while you are still what? Angry, for anger gives a foothold to the who? The devil. Let me tell you something, friends, you go to bed, night after night after night after night, disappointed, hurt, broken, upset, angry, if you go to bed night after night long enough with that, let me tell you something, one day you will wake up alone. You might wake up next to somebody, but you will wake up alone. The relationship will be dead spiritually. The relationship will be dead emotionally. And the relationship will be dead physically. You will wake up alone if you let conflict eat away at your soul. And here's why. Because it says that the devil, you realize, I mean, oh, that's you Christian people talking about the devil. Let me tell you something. You have an enemy. If you haven't figured that out yet, come on. You have an enemy that wants to destroy your soul. You have an enemy that wants to destroy everything that's good in your life. 
And the scripture says that, that when we let this bitterness rage within us, this anger rage within us, it gives the devil wiggle room in our life. And he wiggles in, and he doesn't wiggle in for anything good. You know that, right? He wiggles in to destroy your home, to steal, kill, and destroy your family. He wants to, he wants to separate what God has put together. You hear this? We have an enemy. And the scripture says you better be aware of this, friends. And it'll destroy you. Deal with conflict. Now pause just one second. If you are part of our church here, even if you're a guest, and, uh, and, and you say, you know what, uh, Jay, there are some, there's just some unresolved issues in my life and I don't know I'm gonna be able to handle them by myself. Uh, you need to talk to somebody. The scripture says this about you and me who wanna, who, wanna, who wanna like hide in the shadow. It says that you're a fool because it says wise people seek godly counsel. That's what it says. Wise people seek godly counsel. Sometimes you need a marriage mentor. We have marriage mentors in our church. Free, free, free of charge, crazy, free. And they'll love to sit with you and pray with you and lift you up and kind of be that outside coach. And they're good. I know these people. We want to help one another here. Amen? Amen. Okay. Now let me tell you, here's the third thing that will destroy a marriage. Here's the third thing. You ready for this? Boredom. Boredom. It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. Boredom will destroy your marriage. It'll end it every single time. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor Chris Pasek talked about the three Ps. Remember this? Pastor P talking about the Ps. Remember he said, you need to pray, play, and, and plan. Remember that? So good, right? And he, and he was onto something. And I want to just flesh this out a little bit because it's true. Boredom will kill a relationship. Have you ever heard this little phrase, uh, the grass is greener on the other side? Anybody ever hear that? Some of you young people may not know what that is, but the idea is that, that you look out over you know, the pasture and it's greener somewhere else. It's always better somewhere else. And, and what this little saying is, is that you're looking somewhere else and it looks better. You're looking some, to something else and it looks better. You're looking to someone else and it looks better than what you have. And let me tell you something, friends. Let me tell you something. The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greenest where you water it. It's where you invest. It's where you put the hose, right? It's where, where you dump all the water. And let me tell you something, friends. When, when you're first dating somebody, it's amazing what you'll do. I remember when Lynette and I were first starting to get together, I would drive two and a half hours to see her for an hour and then drive all the way back. And I thought that was a great investment. Like five hours on the road for an hour face to face. That was well worth it to me. And you do crazy things like that, you invest in a relationship, you call, you write notes, you buy little gifts, some crazy people do that. Um, you, you guys will like brush their teeth and buy breath mints because they want to impress her, right? And you do this early on in the relationship. I remember when Lynette and I were first starting to get serious about our relationship, we would just sit and talk and we would dream about our lives. We would talk about the future. We would talk about all the things we wanted to do and accomplish and to build with our lives and what kind of family we wanted to have and where we wanted to go, what kind of home we wanted to do, what we wanted to do with our children. And we would dream and we would plan for this future. And it was exciting. It was fuel. It was fuel for the relationship. Listen to me, friends. Let me tell you something. Somewhere along the way, what happens to so many of us is that we look out over our life 
and the grass is greener somewhere else. And let me tell you something, friends. If the grass is greener somewhere else, I'm betting the water bill's higher as well. I'm betting that you're investing in the wrong person. I'm, inv- I'm betting that you're investing in the wrong things. Your time, your energy, your passion, your care, your compassion, your love is going to the wrong person because the grass is not greener somewhere else. The grass is green. It's where you water it every single time. Every time. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to read you a little passage of scripture. And I will warn you, this is a heavy, heavy little verse of scripture. But there's a lot of truth. It's found in the book of Malachi. And I know a lot of y'all spend a lot of time in Malachi, right? (laughs) But it's Malachi chapter two. And let me just read these words to you. Because this is heavy. He's talking about what happens in the deepest relationships in our life. Listen to what he says. He says this, uh, Malachi speaking to God's people the people of Israel, people who are supposed to care about the things of God. I think that's probably similar to a group that's in here tonight. You're here because you care about the things of God in your life. And so Malachi is speaking to a group like us, and he says this, you cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? In other words, why do I feel so alone? Why do I feel so away from God? Why does God feel so far away from me? And listen to what he links it to. This is very interesting. He says, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why the most important relationship in all the world feels broken to you. It's because the most important relationship on earth is broken. And here's what he says. Here's what he says. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. When I said I do to Lynette, it wasn't just a crowd of people watching. God was watching. And God remembers the vows I made to her. Listen, It says, but you have been what? Unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. And here's what happens to us, friends. The reason we feel broken with our relationship with God is because the most important relationship on earth is often broken. And God says, you gotta fix this. You stop doing what you did at the beginning. You you let your heart wander. You stop pursuing her. You stop pursuing him. Uh, You you are a little bit, you are a little more than roommates now. You, You live together, but you have separate agendas. You're not partners. You're not building a life together. You're, you may be sharing the same bed in the same room, but you're not sharing the same life. And the goal is oneness. That is the goal. That's what we all want. That's why we all signed up and said, I do. If you married, that's the ticket, right? So most marriages, listen, they do not crash and burn overnight. They fade away, right? They fade away. Uh, You've heard it a thousand times where I woke up one morning and I just didn't love her anymore. Bull. You saw this coming a million miles away and you just didn't pay attention to it. You and I, we've got to work on this thing. We've got to get this right. We've got to make this happen. Very quiet in the room here. Let me give you a second list. So those are some things that will destroy our relationship. It'll it'll end in death. But there, there are two things, two words, very short list, just two words that I think are the fuel 
for the right kind of relationship. There are two things that will lift us. But before I give you this little tiny two-word list, I, I want to read something that comes right out of the pages of Scripture. Just let me read this to you, okay? It's, it's found in the book of, of Ephesians, uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 21. And, and the ladies in the room, you're going to really love this first part, okay? It says this. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You get what he's saying there? Nobody's greater than the other person. You're, you're equal partners in this. You submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But, but, but he has to remind the ladies of something here. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Apparently, the lady types need to be told that again. Right? Come on. We're, we're told originally to submit one to another, but then when he goes to get more specific, he goes, okay, listen, ladies, you didn't get it the first time. Submit to your husbands. He needed to repeat that for you. Hmm. Hmm. Verse 23, moving right along. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is, listen, he is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And all the men in the room say, amen. Just kidding, ladies. Hold on. Before you get yourself all worked up in a tizzy, uh, listen, he does something here. He ups the ante for the men. He ups the game for the men. He, you ladies get off easy because he raises the bar for men. And listen to what he says next. Verse 25. Verse 25, he says, for husbands, listen, for husbands, this means love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her. And all the women in the room say, amen. Amen. Now, let me finish this out so that everybody's equally offended, okay? Because uh, this is so important because he, he begins to tell us how this, this love and submission relationship works. He begins to tell us that there are these gears that work together. Don't go thinking too big of yourself here or too big of yourself here. He says, this has to work Together, Look at this, look at this. It says, verse 26, Jesus gave up his life for her. Why? And, uh, to, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as the glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. You, you start to see the picture of serving that Christ is doing for the church? He says this, in the same way, husbands, ratcheting it up, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Why? Because nobody hates his own body but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of one body. Now listen. Listen to this. Verse 31. It says, and as the scriptures say, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two are united into one. The goal of marriage is oneness. And we could spend so much time unpacking this thing, but I just want to dial into two little words. Just two little words. Love and submission. Or we could say love and respect because it carries this idea 
that this word submission carries this idea that, that you lady types are to respect, to submit to your husband in such a way that you would be willing to follow his lead, which is supposed to be driven completely out of love and self-sacrifice for you. Completely driven out of that kind of love. So ladies, before you get all worked up over this, let me, let me just ask you. If your husband... If your husband was to love and sacrifice for you like Jesus loves and sacrificed for all of us, would it be so hard to follow his lead? Ladies? Come on, ladies? No. I think unless you're one of those crazy ladies, you'd be more than happy to love and to follow and even submit to the leadership of your husband if he loved you like Jesus. If, if what he did was driven out of selflessness for you, if he was sacrificial toward you, right? So two words, love and respect. Love is the obvious one, right? We talked about this last week. You have to make love a verb. You have to make love a verb. You, you have to figure this all out, right? Um, and I want you to notice something, men, um, that the scripture does not tell the ladies to love us. I find that very striking. That the scripture does not tell us to, uh, the, the ladies to love their husband. It tells the husbands to love their ladies. Why? Why? Because I think women are good at this. I think women get this whole love thing down. They, they get it in a whole different way than us. And us guys, we have to be reminded of this. We have to be encouraged toward this. It tells you, me, husbands, it tells us to love her, right? Remember, the idea here is to be the right person. So men, so men, men, love your wife. Love her. Love her. Love her, sacrifice for her, give to her, be compassionate toward her, lift her, encourage her. Love her like Christ loves you. If you do that, I'm telling you, she will be more than happy to follow your lead in anything. So it says, husbands, love your wives because God knows that our ladies need love. They need to feel loved. Ladies, am I right? You don't want your husband just to go, well, I got you a house 28 years ago. You're fine. <laughs> right? Don't, I mean, ladies, am I right? You want to feel pursued. You want to feel loved by, by your man, right? Don't you? Or am I wrong? See, I think God is smart. He knows how he created us. And he knows there's this hollowness inside of, of, of a lady that needs to feel the tangible love of, of a husband. So ladies, let me just say something to you. You have to be the right person. If you have this need to be loved, if you want to be loved, then be lovable. Then be lovable. Let me tell you something, friends. Be sweet, be attractive, be purposely loving, uh, be, be purposely lovable. If, if that's what you want and if that's what you need, then make it easy for him to give that to you. Be lovable. Let me tell you something. It is not easy for a man to actively love a wife who is harsh, rude, selfish, doesn't take care of herself and lets herself go and doesn't even care about it. All right. That went over great. Hey, Jay, you don't even know what it's like to live with this man. You're right. I don't. 
But I know what the scripture says what you need. And the scripture says that you need love. And I know what the scripture tells me to do toward my wife. It says for me to love her. And I'm just saying the obvious. Make it easy for him to do that and it will go well for you. Amen, Jay. That was so good and so brilliant. Wow. I hope the people on video are getting it a lot better. Wow. Okay. So, so let me, for men, uh, for men, she's commanded She's commanded to submit and to respect you, to follow your lead. Now, I think God knows the nature of a man here, right? Because the nature of a man, uh, there's part of us who, who, that feels like we go into the world every single day and you get the life beat out of you and you come home and the one place that you ought to feel respected is your home. The one place you ought to feel like you have influence is your home. Am I right, men? Don't you feel this way? Don't you feel like if out of all the people in the whole world, as long as your wife and your kids respect you, you're good. Anybody? That's how I feel. That's how I feel. God knows I need this. So if God says you need this, and if you know that you need this, and if she's commanded uh, to, to, to somehow respect you and to follow your lead, then be respectable. Be worth respecting. Treat her in such a way that it is easy for her to respect you. If you're a jerk, then she will not want to come around and follow your lead. If she feels that you're selfish and only about you and your pursuits, your dreams, your career, your whatever, your whatever, your whatever, she's going to check out. And she's not going to give you what you need what God commanded her to give you. And, and, and men, it is the same that we said for the ladies. It is very, very difficult for a woman to wake up and actively love and respect her husband and to serve him when he is harsh and rude and selfish and lets himself go and doesn't take care of who he really is and he doesn't even care. It's just hard for a woman to respect somebody like that. Am I right, ladies? So somehow, love and respect, they feed each other. Love and respect is the ticket to making this whole thing go. That, that's the list right there. You figure out how to love her and respect him, and I'm telling you, one will feed the other, one will feed the other, and one will feed the other, and it will be beautiful, and it will be good. Amen. All right. So here is the third list. Here's the third list. I'm going to speak directly to single people now. But when I talk about this, uh, first of all, I want to let you know a couple of things. Number one, this is just my opinion. I'm going to give you my opinion about what you should be looking for in a spouse. Uh, I call this marriage material, right? Um, this is important. And, and for those of you who are married and you're kind of going, yeah, husband, listen to this. This should reveal some truth in you too, that as we kind of work through this next little list, there's some things that you're going to go, man, I need to work on this. None of this is a license to check out of your, your, your marriage, right? But I'm going to talk to single people now. So I have two older kids, right? Uh, two younger ones, two older ones. I have a 15-year-old beautiful young lady who was up here tonight, right? And uh, she's gorgeous. She's so cute. And uh, I've noticed something. The boys are swarming. They're swarming. So I just want to say to the young gentleman in the room, 
who are swarming around my girl, knock it off. It's going nowhere until she's out of school. Period, end of discussion. And I'm gonna tell you one more thing, it will not end well for you if you keep it up. You have been warned, all right? But I have an 18-year-old son, and he's at a different stage. He's ready to, to move forward in this area of life, right? And he wants to do it right, and I wanna help him do it right. And so, uh, if I was to make a list about marriage material, this is what I would tell him. I thought about this. What would I tell my own sons, my own daughter? Who, who should they be looking for? So when I got to working on this, I, I kind of put it in the other terms. It was easier for me to state who I would not marry and who I would fight tooth and nail if I had to. And so I'm just going to give you a little list of what we're going to call marriage material. You ready for this? You ready? Again, this is just my opinion. You might have a different list or no list at all, okay? But this is important stuff to me and Lynette. Number one, I would tell my boys and my girl, do not marry a taker, ever. Now, somebody can be beautiful, and they can be funny, and they can be a pleasure to be around, even active in church. They can be great in so many ways, but if they are a taker, do not marry them. Takers are not emotionally or spiritually ready for a marriage, no matter how fun they are to date. The reality is that in life, there are some people who give, and there are some people who take. Have you noticed this? I bet you you have. There are some people in your relational world that give to you, that feeds you, that lifts you up, that make you feel better when you're around them. They, they pour into you. They, they, they lift your soul. They lift your personhood, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? There, there are givers in your life. But then there are other people that when you're around them, it, it's just like, it's a sucking noise, right? And it just sucks the soul right out of you. They're, they're takers. They, they take from you. They don't, they don't lift you up, right? Um, they, they take from the relationship and, and the relationships repeatedly end poorly, right? Because they, they're consumers. They're, they're selfish. Takers are selfish. They, they want their needs met. They want their wants met. Uh, they want their desires met and they want it right now regardless of how the other person feels about it. Takers are drama queens. You've seen these people. Takers are drama kings, right? They, they suck and they suck and they suck the relationship dry and then when they're done with you, they move on every single time. And I would tell my kids, do not marry a taker because you're sitting on a relational time bomb if you do because you're making a bet that as a giver that somehow you can give enough to them to fill up this relationship void. But eventually you will be sucked dry. You can never give enough because a taker always takes and there's only so much capacity in you to give and to fill that up because you can't make somebody else happy ever. Ever. And eventually they will move on from you and they will have nothing more to give you because they had nothing to start. I would tell my kids, you marry another giver. You marry somebody else who's gonna give into this relationship. Let me tell you something, friends. It is not a selfish thing for a giver to marry a giver. It is wise. It is smart. It will go well for their one and only life if they do. It'll go good for my grandkids too, right? Number two, here's what I would tell my kids, my boys, my girl. I would say, do not marry a lazy person. Period. Do not marry a lazy person. And a lazy person is different than a taker. Uh, maybe you, you can be lazy sometimes. Yeah, we call that vacation. 
right? But this idea is that you do not marry a lazy person because lazy people achieve very little in life. Did he just say that? Yeah. If you got any sort of dream, if you got any sort of desire for your life, if God has stirred something in you and you got dreams for a home and a career and a family and to maybe, uh, maybe make an impact in this world, to have an influence in this world, you don't marry a lazy person. You marry somebody who can come along for the ride. You marry somebody who's going to lift you and partner with you and is going to be there day in and day out because many, uh, particularly younger couples, they, they find out to like life has a big surprise about like really soon they figure out, wow, this thing called life is really hard work. And we, in, in this little falsehood that we give our teenage years and this young college years that all life is is play and have a good time and there's never-ending source of money flow from mommy and daddy, that comes to an end eventually for most people. And they're going to figure out it's hard and there's dishes to be done and garbage to be taken out and things to be fixed and all oh, the dishwasher's broken, now the refrigerator, now my car is broken and it's going to take work to make all that happen. And then kids come along. Has anybody ever noticed how much work kids are? And if you marry somebody lazy who expects you to carry the load, you to do it all, you to show up to the party, let me tell you something, your life will be the pits. And I'll tell my kids that. You better marry somebody who's not afraid of work. Absolutely, go and have a vacation, be as lazy as you can for a week or two. But you come back with self-discipline and you make life happen. And you better find a partner who will make life happen happen like that or you will be disappointed all of your life because if people are lazy physically they are lazy emotionally and they are lazy relationally and they are lazy spiritually I would tell my kids just do not marry a lazy person all right you may not agree but I think so okay number three number three I would tell my kids, do not marry someone who does not live in the real world. <laughs> Has anybody noticed that people live vicariously through a screen? It's like a make-believe world they're living in. This is crazy, but a whole bunch of young people live in a virtual world instead of the real world. And, and I talk to couples like in my little office for counseling all the time, and, 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 and he'll say, well, she lives on Facebook. And she has virtual friends and she's got a blog that talks about marriage but she doesn't have real friends or works on her real marriage. But she can talk about it all day long online. And then I got women who come in and go, well, my husband, after he comes home from work, he thinks it's like some sort of rite of passage that he can go right to the room, open up the big 64-inch television and game all night long. While the kids need him, while I need him, while the house needs him. And they live in this little fantasy world. And I would tell my kids, listen, if somebody can't get off the telephone or off the computer screen and dial into the real world, then they don't deserve you. Because the real world is better than the fake world. And the real world is where life really does happen. You know, if, if, if my son was dating a girl who was binge watching 10 hours of Grey's Anatomy a week, I'd be like, you dropped that girl. You drop that girl right now, you get out. And if my daughter was dating a boy who, who thought it was just normal that the biggest bragging right that he has in life is he's level 54 on honor, some game, I don't know. I'd say, you, you get out of that guy. You get away from him. He's not gonna take you anywhere. 
Because real life matters. Real friends matter. Real situations matter. Real work matters. Real marriage matters. That's what I think. So here's the next thing. Number four, I would tell my kids, do not marry an unkind person. Don't marry an unkind person. Uh, I read this book called Sacred Search. And the author talked about this study that listed kindness as one of the two top qualities uh, contributing to marital happiness. And I believe it to be true because kindness, let me tell you something, it never gets old, right? Kindness never gets old. Bodies deteriorate. One of the things, like when you're young and she's so good looking, that comes to an end one day. One way or another, you get chubby and I get chubby, right? Our, our, our hair grays and it gets a little thin and things sag and move and... But kindness is different. Kindness gets more attractive with age, doesn't it? Doesn't kindness always work in your life, no matter how old and gray he's getting? Isn't there something that fires you up when, when somebody is kind to you? Kindness gets more beautiful over time. It's one of, those, uh, uh, one of those qualities that we associate with happiness all of our life. And so if my kids were dating somebody who, like if they saw a need and they weren't the first up to, to meet it, like, I watch for this man already. If some guy isn't willing to go, you know, shovel the, the walk for my daughter, take out the garbage for her, then I'm like, forget him. Because selfishness will take over in their life. And it'll ruin it. You want to marry somebody who's kind because it reflects the nature of God. God is always kind. He's always good. He's always loving. He's always compassionate. He is always care, careful to meet our need in the best way possible. Always. We need to marry somebody like that. Lastly, I would tell my sons and my daughter this. I would say, do not marry an addict. Do not marry an addict. Uh, Jay, you're so mean. No, no, I'm not talking about like if you're in like a marriage now, I'm not saying that you have any right to leave or to get out because of a struggle that's come into your life. I'm saying before the thing gets started, you need to choose somebody who is not addicted to something because listen to me, they will always love their addiction more than you. Always. And I don't want my daughter to marry some guy who's addicted to anything but Jesus and her. That's it, period. That's it. And let me tell you something. Um, I, I need to share something about what I think to be the, the, the singular fastest growing addiction in America. It's devastating, and it is absolutely true. It is the addiction toward pornography. It is an avalanche of destruction against the souls of men and women. Um, there's hardly a week in our little church here that somebody doesn't have an appointment with me that says that this thing called pornography is destroying their lives. Young men confessing to me and sharing with me that it has consumed every part of who they are. Old men saying it has ruined every part of who they are. It's ruined their relationship with their wives. Wives feeling utterly rejected. Let me tell you something. I would tell my daughter this. Do not marry any man who plays with pornography. 
who's addicted to pornography because let me tell you something, uh, he will eventually, not, he will never love you the way that you deserve to be loved. He will not be able to love you for very long, if at all. He will lose interest in you. He will face ED issues decades before other men will normally face it. He will use you in bed instead of blessing you in bed. He will be comparing you with other women and acting like that's okay. And it is not okay. It is not. He'll be comparing you to women who act on a script rather than in real life. And it's not a real world. And it destroys people. And I hear women all the time. It's amazing to me. Young women will say, well, when we get married, that'll fix it. What? What? You may be beautiful, but that only lasts for like six months to a year. It's called infatuation. And it will wear off. It will wear off. Their soul has to be deeper than that. It has to be bigger than that. It doesn't get fixed like that. You don't just cure it by getting married. It's just not the way it is. It literally rewires your brain. You may be able to beat it for a week or two because you got married, but it has rewired your brain. If you don't believe me, Google it, look it up. It's a real issue in our world. And so I would just tell my kids, I don't care what the addiction is, I would say, do not marry somebody who's addicted because they will never love you like they, that, that the way that they're supposed to, ever, ever. Now, pause real quick. This is not a license to discard your husband or wife now, but this is a, and I know somebody, you might feel like you're beat up right now, I don't, or I'm like condemning you right now. I'm not at all. I'm saying there are some things that have taken over your life and you know it, and it needs to be fixed. It needs to be changed. We are not a church that ever condemns or points fingers or says somebody can't grow and take their next steps, ever, amen? We're the kind of church that says you need to go and make it, make it different in your life. And so we have this little group here in our church called Renew. And it's an amazing group of people. And they want to just come around you and build you and lift you and challenge you and hold you accountable. But if you want to change, you got to make it happen. You got to make it happen in your life. So these are some of the things that I would tell my kids. I don't know what you would tell your kids, uh, but if you're single in this room, these are some of the things that I think that you should be looking out for. And if you're married, you should be the opposite of these things. You should be the kind of man that God wants you to be. You should be the kind of woman that God wants you to be. We need to become the right person. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now I want to say one more thing real quick. Um, there's one other thing. I think it applies to all of us. But this idea of, of my own kids. You know what I would tell my kids? I would say, you better marry somebody who loves Jesus more than they love you. You, you better marry somebody who, who's fully devoted to him in your heart, in their heart. Because they will be able to take you where you want to end up. That's what I would say. Keep the most important thing the most important thing. Be humble. For all of us in this room, we need to be humble to let God change us and to grow us and to help us take our next steps. We gotta admit that we need to take our next steps in so many areas. We gotta become the right people. Amen? All right, I'd love for you to stand to your feet and, uh, and I would like to lead us in prayer. I'm gonna turn it back over to the campus pastor and we're gonna pray together. So Father in heaven, we take a moment to bow before you um, admitting 
So many times that we get it wrong. Uh, admitting so many times that we're not who we are supposed to be. So Father, in this room, I pray that you would speak to single people and to married people, to divorced people, to struggling people. God, help each of us to know that you are not fire, that you lift us, that you change us, that you mold us, that you allow us to take our next steps. Speak, oh God, for your child is listening. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, uh, I got a little email this week uh, from some lady, and she said, I don't understand something about your church. I'm like, what? And she says, well, it's weird. Like, when the band plays, they clap, or when you get done talking, they clap. It's like, what, are you guys, like, lifting up rock stars? Are you, like, you, like, you got to be, like, the man or something? I'm like, no, that's just our way of saying we agree. It's our way of saying we're with that. That's what we want to be. So it's okay, right, to clap and to say that's what I want to be. Amen? So uh, if you want to pray with somebody, don't get out of here and just leave. If, if you feel God needs to meet with you in some way, up to my left, to your right. I got some friends who would love to pray with you. Come on up. Let's, let's talk. Let's pray together. Uh, don't forget about the Lucy lights, and don't forget about Easter next weekend. Let's invite, let's pack this place out next weekend. God bless you guys. Okay. <laughs>